Well, we are so blessed to have Bishop E.W. Jackson. I met him in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it? When you came, he came here and was part of uh, Tony Perkins, um, had a meeting here and he gave E.W. five minutes to talk. And in five minutes, he got two or three standing ovations. And I said, I got to know this man. And since then, I've been to his place. He's been here many times. And I have just fallen in love with uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson. And uh, he's got a great list of accomplishments. Uh, he's run for office and he pastors and he's got a stand network and uh, stand true to America's national destiny, I think is what that acronym stands for. And he's just being used by God in a lot of ways. But to me, the number one thing is he just loves God. And I think that's awesome. So let's welcome uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson as he comes to minister this evening. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Oops. Thank you very much. Praise God. And you know, I thought to myself, how do you preach after that? Man, that was, that was wonderful. And, and for those of us, of course, who love this country and love God and love that flag, um, to think that there are those in this nation who think there's something wrong with us for honoring that flag and, and honoring this country. They don't understand, as you said, Andrew, I think, I think it's much more hating God than it is being ignorant. Because when you've been blessed mightily in this country, you've experienced the very best it has to offer, and then your response is not gratitude, but hateful resentment, as if something terrible has happened to you, when you know that the likelihood is, uh, is that if you live somewhere else in the world, you wouldn't be a billionaire for bouncing a little leather ball around a wooden floor, or for getting in front of people and doing interviews or whatever myriad things you might do. You certainly wouldn't be a billionaire, you wouldn't be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but because of the freedom we enjoy here, you have all of that, and then yet, yet you hate the very country that makes it possible for you to have all that. Uh, so I, I think it's really hate, hatefulness of God because it doesn't make any other sense. There's no other way of understanding it. Um, and I mean, if, you're, if you really are that ignorant, just come to Karis and, and learn better, praise God. I mean, we can, we can solve that problem pretty easily. I want to say, first of all, uh, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Jamie. I can't tell you what an honor it is to be with you all, uh, to stand with you, and to stand with the people that you've assembled around you. I mean, I'm telling you, I pitch myself because it really is an honor to be with these great folks. And to be able to play my part in it is, is really overwhelming. And, and believe me, I, I am very, very grateful to be used by God in this day and time to be a part of this. And I really believe, Andrew, you've been saying, and I'm in a complete and complete agreement because I really believe God told me the same thing, that we are already in an awakening. We are already seeing the signs of it happening in our country right now, but we're gonna see a whole lot more. 
a whole lot more. And I really believe, Andrew, that you and the people around you are going to be at the center of the action because there are so many people in this country whom God has blessed so mightily and they are ignoring the fact that, as you said earlier, Jason, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. They, they just, they don't see it. it, does, it or here again, they choose not to see it. They, they don't want to be bothered. They've got other more important things to do. Well, my wife and I had our first grandchild six months ago. Um, I'll tell you, that's a whole new world, let me tell you. Uh, but... It, it, it makes me that much more determined that she enjoys every bit of freedom I've enjoyed uh, and does not have that taken away and does not have to suffer persecution as you all heard about this young girl uh, at uh, Houston University who got denied a position on student government because she dared quote scripture. She quoted scripture and they said, well, that's disqualifying. Because clearly you must be a hater and a bigot. You're quoting scripture. I mean, that's not the world we want our grandchildren, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren to grow up in. We want them to grow up in a nation in which God is honored and their faith and their commitment to God is seen as a virtue and something that recommends them, not something that causes them to lose their jobs or lose their position and this kind of thing. So I'll tell you what, I'm loaded for bear now. I, I, I thought I was loaded for bear before. I really am now. Her name is Journey Jackson Simmons. Um, we're going to try to get her here, by the way, Andrew. <laughs> Amen. Uh, she's not ready yet. She's only six months old, but I think by about a year, she'll be ready to attend Karis. I mean, well, you know. <laughs> Well, listen, it is, a, it is a pleasure and an honor. We've got a table outside as well, and you can check it out. I'll be signing some books here momentarily uh, after I'm done with this assignment, and I'll be happy to meet you all. By the way, pray for me. We've got a new book coming out. Uh, it'll be out in January. Some early release copies will be out in December. It's called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. Um, and I'm really excited about this book. Yes, I really am. So pray for me that the Lord will see to it that this book is read far and wide by a lot of people who don't now understand what we are talking about here. All right, let me, let me get to my assignment here. Uh, in, uh, in, by the way, congratulations. They're going to be married for 52 years in about... 50, oh, okay, we're 52. Okay, you haven't caught up with us yet. 50 years, praise God. Let's give, let's give them a hand. That's, you know. I'm gonna preach in a minute here, but you know, the biggest social problem we've got is the breakdown of family. It really is. I mean, it's at the bottom of all of this other stuff that's going on in our country. And so having models like this who marry and, and maintain their marriages and, and, and can teach others how to do it is, is, again, truly a blessing. In fact, my organization's having a meeting in, in Chicago on October 15th, and you all know what's going on in Chicago. It's going on all over the world. I mean, crime is just running rampant. 
and we're going to be having a meeting there in the inner city talking to people about, among other things, how do we strengthen families so that these young men don't raise themselves or become raised by gangs to do nothing but go out and rob and rape and murder and harm people. So, so once again, I, I'll tell you, I, I am just grateful to be a part of leadership like uh, Andrew and Jamie are providing for all of us. All right, let's come to my assignment. I want to talk to you uh, from a subject that draws out of these two scriptures. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and was, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I want to talk to you for just a few moments about the God of history. The God of history. You know, it's interesting, the book of Revelation kind of wraps up this whole thing. Basically, teaches us about the end of human history. And the first chapter of the book and the last chapter of the book both, both have this quote from Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, he is the God of human history. He is the one who holds history in his hands. And we all know that anything that God holds, that God controls, the devil wants to steal, to kill, to destroy, and of course, he wants to lie about and slander because it's important for him that people don't know the truth. It's important for him that they don't know the truth about anything. And that's certainly true for human history. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, if the truth makes you free, doesn't the antithesis have to also be true that lies put you in bondage, that lies capture you and captivate you and hold you where God doesn't want you to be. And so Satan lies about everything, but he also lies about human history. And I'll tell you something, he is lying about the United States of America. He is lying about our history. See, God is the author of human history and therefore God is the author of American history. But we've got people who are absolutely determined. By the way, there's precedent for it. Communists do it regularly. They change human history, they change their history in order to mislead their people, to teach them propaganda and to teach them lies about who they were who they are, where they're going. Hitler did the same thing. He lied about his own background. He lied to the German people constantly. And this is something that tyrants do, something that dictators do, because they know that if you're to, uh, to control people's minds, you've got to control their understanding of history. In order to do that, you've got to lie to them about what they ought to believe. China's doing it right now. They control everything the Chinese people learn and they, they make sure that they learn only about China what the Communist Party of China wants them to know. Saints, that's the devil. 
That's what he does. And the sad fact is that the same thing is being done in the United States of America today. People are lying about our history. Now this to me is, is the, 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 the primary example of this, not the only one, but the primary example of this because it now permeates the teaching of American history. I'm sure all of you know about Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn, 40 years ago, 42 years ago now, published a book called A People's History of the United States of America. And, and in that book, Howard Zinn says this, I wanted in writing this book to awaken a greater consciousness of class conflict, racial injustice, sexual inequality, and national arrogance. And then he quoted an activist saying, the very idea of America makes me shake and tremble and gives me nightmares. He was expressing profound hatred for this country and he wrote a book that was intended to teach others to hate America as presently constituted. And by the way, this is very real because I had a young man join my church several years ago. He was in the Navy. He stayed with us about uh, three years and then he got shipped off elsewhere. But he told me before leaving, he asked to meet with me and sat down and told me, he said, I want to thank you because there's something you don't know. I said, what's that? He said, when I started attending your church, I hated this country because I had read this book, A People's History of the United States of America, and it made me even doubt that I should be in the Navy serving this terrible country. He said, and I came to your church and began to hear a different perspective, and it let me know that the devil had lied to me, and I began to appreciate my country and what it meant to serve my country, and I just wanna thank you for that. That man had been brainwashed by this book. And all over this country right now, children are being brainwashed, even if they're not being taught directly from the book, quotes are used from it. His lessons are being given to teachers all over this country to teach children how to relate to their understanding of the United States of America. And my brothers and sisters, you can't have liberty without truth, and it's time we took back the education of our children and stopped allowing them to be taught these lies. Now, frankly, it makes me personally angry because I know that these are lies, and I know that this is propaganda. I am an American. Some of you have heard my story born in Chester, Pennsylvania, to a mother and father who were breaking up at the time I was born. Uh, my father ended up with custody, couldn't take care of me. I ended up shipped around to various foster homes and it landed in a foster home of uh, Rebecca and Willie Molette at the age of 14 months old, spent 10 years in foster care, became a juvenile delinquent, a gang member, a ne'er-do-well, a truant. I seldom went to school. I was engaged in very vicious, thank God we weren't using guns or knives yet, but I was engaged in very vicious gang warfare over territory. We were on our way to what's happening in our time. Uh, people killing one another over territory and over, over the right to control who's gonna be able to sell drugs here and there. Some of my friends ended up in jail. Some of them murdered other people that I knew. That's the life that I was living. But in 
1962, standing on a street corner in Chester, Pennsylvania, the corner of Pennell and Third Streets, I'll never forget it. My father drove up and summoned me to his car and put me in his car, took me to that foster home and told my foster mother, Miss Beck, I'm taking my son with me now because if I don't take him, we're gonna lose him to the streets. Now she became hysterical, didn't know quite what to do. She complained and moaned and, and said, but, the, but the, the authorities won't let you. But my father said, nobody has been given my son. My son belongs to me and I'm gonna take him and raise him in a way that is gonna save him from the things that he is involved in right now. My father took me to live with him and I found out something, that it doesn't take a government program, it doesn't take midnight basketball, it takes a father to sit you down and tell you, you will do what I tell you to do or your behind will pay. So this poor kid, born in Chester, Pennsylvania, to a broken home, went from being an F student in fifth grade to an A student in sixth grade, went on to perform academically, graduated summa cum laude from the University of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Massachusetts at Boston. I tell people, they call it summa cum laude, but I call it, thank you, Lord. But nevertheless, and went on to Harvard Law School, graduated from Harvard Law School, practiced law for 15 years. This kid born to a mother who was lost in a cult, a father who was sort of feeling his way but loved his son and wanted to try to do something for me, had a sixth grade education, was a welder at Sunship Building and Dry Dock Company. And in the United States of America, this former foster kid, this child of a broken home, this child of poverty and delinquency can become what's standing before you today because of the freedom that this nation has to offer. I'm proud of my country. I'm grateful to God, to have been born an American. And when I hear about the things that, that this country produces, I know we aren't perfect, but when I hear about what this country produces, in a week we will celebrate or commemorate, I should better say, 9-1-1. When, when under one of the worst circumstances our country has ever faced, one of the worst attacks on our soil Almost 3,000 Americans murdered in cold blood. We watched people leap from the World Trade Center rather than be incinerated alive. And in the midst of that chaos, there were Americans wearing uniforms who didn't run home to their families, they ran into those buildings to save other Americans that they didn't even know. Over 300 police uh, uh, firefighters, over 70 police officers lost their lives that day trying to save the lives of others. Those brave Americans who were on uh, United Flight 93, yeah. who confronted those terrorists, who, who made up their minds, if we're going to die, we're going to 
gonna die on our terms, but we will not let these terrorists use this plane to attack our capital. And they brought that thing down in a field in Pennsylvania. And then the, the men and women who volunteered to fight against those who wanted to destroy us. I think of Michael Mansoor. His name is forgotten. He received the Medal of Honor posthumously, but he was on a roof in Iraq. When one of the terrorists threw a grenade up on the roof, he was closest to the exit and could have escaped. But because his men were around him, instead of running down the steps and off the roof, he jumped on the grenade, lost his life, but saved the lives of every one of his men. That's the kind of stock we come from. That's who we are as Americans. One of the nephews of one of my church members, Javon Jordan, Sergeant Javon Jordan, I preached his funeral. He was about to go back to Iraq for the second tour of duty voluntarily. And his mother pleaded with him, don't do it. Don't do it. You, you've served one tour, don't go back. And she told the story of being in the kitchen, fixing a meal for him while he was sitting uh, in the living room. And she, said she heard his steps walking toward her very deliberately. And when she looked up, he was standing over her. And he said, Mother, I don't have any problem with giving my life for my country. And he did. I stood over his body and honored that young man for his service to this nation. That's the kind of nation that we are. And this all goes back to the very beginning of our country when so many made sacrifices. Our young people don't even learn about Nathan Hale today. But Nathan Hale was only 22 years old when he was arrested by the British and sentenced to death for having been a British spy. But the, the man who mentored him, Inias Munson, a Yale physician, said this about Nathan Hale. That man is a diamond of the first water, calculated to excel in any situation he assumes. He is a gentleman and scholar, and last though not least of his qualifications, a Christian. This moment in Nathan Hale's life is famous because of what he is supposed to have said, some say that that quote is a paraphrase, that he didn't actually say, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country, but said something very close to it. I am so satisfied with the cause in which I have engaged that my only regret is that I have not more lives than one to offer in my country's service. That's what that flag represents to so many of us. That's who we are as Americans. Are we perfect? No, because there's no such thing as a perfect nation. But we have nevertheless produced people because of the values upon which this nation was built who have done extraordinary things. And for those who criticize this country, I remind them of Romans chapter three, beginning at verse 10, that says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That includes Americans. There is none who understands, the Bible goes on to say, there's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have all together become unprofitable, and it finally ends, 
with verse 18 saying, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the world we live in. That's the world into which our country was birthed. But I'll tell you something. I don't have to compare America to heaven because America will never be heaven. But when I compare America to the rest of the world, given the Judeo-Christian and biblical principles upon which this nation was founded, I would say this to Barack Obama, I would say this to John Kerry, I would say this to Joe Biden, I don't apologize to anybody for the United States of America. We don't owe the world an apology. The world owes us a debt of thanks because we have blessed the world in ways that no other country ever has. See, the question is not, are we a perfect nation? Because of course we're not. But the question is, can we be a nation of virtue, of honor, of integrity, of decency, of liberty, of hope, of opportunity for all people? I stand before you as living proof that we can. See, the answer is yes, we can be that kind of nation. And frankly, we've been that kind of nation, no matter what the leftists in our country the Democrat Party, no matter what they say, I remember hearing former Governor Cuomo criticize this phrase, make America great again, sneeringly, it was never that great. And yet he's doing pretty well for himself. No, America is great, not because we're perfect people, not because we're genetically superior, America is great because we were founded on great values. When our founding fathers penned the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they were enunciating their belief in what this country should represent. And believe me, as an American of African ancestry, I've heard, yeah, but Jefferson had slaves. Yeah, but they were slave owners. And yeah, but you know, America had slavery. But I'll tell you what, why in the world would Jefferson want to write, which he did write initially in his first draft, a denunciation of slavery if it weren't on his heart that he knew that slavery was wrong and had to end? I believe that most of the founding fathers, in fact, I don't believe I know, that most of the founding fathers understood that, but they were caught in this conundrum, the conundrum of history. And the history is that they were inheritors of this horrible institution of slavery, and they were trying to figure out how in the world do we get rid of it. Thomas Jefferson famously said, it's like holding a wolf by the ears. I said, that was his words, he said, you can't hold it and you can't let it go. That's the circumstance they were in. But I want to remind you, slavery was an institution practiced all over the world by all people everywhere. By the way, uh, I just talked about this recently in a sermon at my church, but the Muslims, the African Muslims, we would call them Arabs today, but the North African Muslims captured the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, we would call today, ruled it for 700 years, and they brought slavery to Spain, and part of what they brought was African slaves. 
Toward the end of that rule, toward the end of that time, they ruled uh, Portugal, I think, until about 1250, and then they ruled Spain until sometime in the late 1400s. But toward the end of that rule, they started bringing in African, sub-Saharan African slaves who were darker-skinned people. Up until that time, slavery had absolutely no skin color impact. That had nothing to do with it. You know, when I say this, there are people who kind of, oh, you know, look like they look at one and I think, didn't you ever see Spartacus? I mean, slavery's not new. It was practiced everywhere by all people. Africans enslaving Africans, Asians enslaving Asians. In fact, Europeans were enslaving Europeans by the tens of thousands. And so these Muslims started to bring dark-skinned Africans into Spain and they found out that some of the Africans they were capturing were Muslims. But the Quran had a proscription against enslaving another Muslim. And so you know what they did? They created an exception for dark-skinned Muslims. They said, well, they're different. They're inferior. We can enslave them, it's okay. In fact, Arabic has a word that means both black and slave that they created for that purpose. Now, I'm not justifying the transatlantic slavery. I'm not justifying slavery at all. But what I'm pointing out is something you've heard me say over and over and over again. It's not the skin, it's the sin. The problem is not white versus black versus brown versus yellow. The problem is the human heart. And until we understand that, we're going to be busy carving away at the symptom without getting to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's the answer. Not all of this diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is really nothing but a euphemism for socialism. That's really all it is. And you all forgive me, but I have to tell you explicitly, it's also a way of saying, you gotta keep those white people out. Now let's just be honest with each other. That's what it's all about. I mean, are you reading these articles about people being fired because we don't need any more white people? Oh, and men, you particularly, if you're a white man, you particularly are a target. And this notion that, well, but we've got to do that in order to correct things. You cannot cure evil with more evil. But Satan is lying about human history because what he's saying is, given the history, given the history, we've got to do this in order to correct for what happened in the past. Now, this is, this is another lie about human history. The Bible says no longer, after the new covenant was inaugurated, no longer will the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth be set on edge. 
In other words, they're asking all of us to somehow enter into the sins of the past and pay for or be rewarded for whatever sins somebody committed against our ancestors and whatever sins, real or imagined, or whatever victimization, real or imagined, our ancestors may have experienced. But that's sinful in itself. God doesn't ask you to pay for the sins of someone else. God doesn't ask you to answer for what other generations did. And Lord knows I don't want that. I've been told stories about my grandfather that make me shudder. I certainly don't want to pay for what he did. They say he was a pretty bad man. In fact, I, told, I was told a story about my grandfather who was apparently very rough, so bad that he changed his name from Charles to Frank. His given name was Charles, and the rumor was, what we, we were handed down was, he changed his name to try to hide from the law. I don't, don't, don't speculate about what he did. I don't even want to know. But my father told me that one time he, they were playing in the yard and he wore a six-shooter. He said he came home and, and he and his brother, Charles, the only two children who survived um, the, the, the great uh, flu epidemic of 1918, were playing in the yard and they were apparently playing with the chickens that belonged to a neighbor. And when he came in, well, he came walking to the yard. They had a little yard. It wasn't much, but, but, you know, he walked up and she came out angry. She said, those boys of yours have been killing my chickens. And they've been playing with my chickens. And he said, my grandfather said, and you all will forgive me, but this is, my grandfather was old school, born in 1874. And he said, daughter, he's, because my father said he called all women daughter. Daughter. Who's those chickens be? And she said, they're mine. And he said, daughter, where are those chickens be? And she said, they're in your yard. And he said, daughter, everything in this yard belongs to those boys. You don't want your chickens killed? Keep them out of this yard. Said, so when he said that, she got mad and picked up a brick and threw it at him. My father said he had a, 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 a steel-rimmed hat and that brick hit his hat and my grandfather never moved his head and put his, pushed his coat back and flashed his six-heart shooter and said, daughter, if you hit me with a brick, I'll kill you just as dead as God killed Jacob. Now, by the way, God didn't kill Jacob, but... <laughs> Lord knows I don't want to answer for what my grandfather did. And none of us should have to answer for what happened to others. We should be obsessing about our present and our future, not about our past. Our founding fathers did something absolutely extraordinary. They created a country that has lasted now for a quarter of a millennium and has been the most successful and most stable nation in the history of mankind. Now, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. If everything they did was wrong, if everything they did was racist, if everything they did was evil, then the Bible must be lying. Because you don't become the most powerful nation on earth with 4% of the population by doing everything wrong. They must have been doing something right. And you and I are beneficiaries of what they were doing right. 
I said September the 11th will commemorate 9-1-1. Well, September 17th, we will commemorate the anniversary of the passage of our Constitution. Sadly, not many Americans pay much attention to that, but we ought to. September 17th, the inauguration of our Constitution passed on September 17th, 1787. The most successful governing document in the history of mankind. And that yet, I don't know whether you all have been following this, but there is a growing movement among scholars to say that we should throw this document out. They don't have the political clout to overturn it or to repeal it, but what they're suggesting is that we ought to simply ignore it. Uh, a, a, a scholar, a law school, uh, professor from Georgetown University, another one from Yale, another one from, from uh, Harvard, have all said it is an antiquated document written by a bunch of racists and it really doesn't have any relevance for today. And we would all be better off if we ignored it because it is getting in the way of our true democracy. Well, see, first of all, they're lying about our history because our Constitution didn't create a democracy. It created a constitutional republic. That's what we really are. Because... We don't have a country in which whatever the majority says goes. That's what they want though. Because if you can steal your way to a majority, then you can do whatever you want. And we've got to put a stop to it by upholding these things. This is what the Truth and Liberty Conference is all about. Upholding these things that we know have made us the most successful nation in the history of mankind. And so that constitution, by the way, represents cultural realities that have been handed down from one generation to another. And one of those cultural realities is we believe that each person is equal before the law. And we know here again, we're not perfect at that, but that's what we strive for. And therefore, each person is responsible for their own actions. You all see this kid, 19-year-old kid who just killed four people, shot to death and, and injured three more. Uh, for, and, and for reasons we don't even understand down in Memphis. They've recently had several children murdered down there. And, but in each case, what we find out is these are people who've already committed heinous acts and they're let back out on the street to do harm to others. How does that happen? How does it work? I'll tell you how it works. It works because you're undermining the very principle of our foundation of the Constitution, which is you are responsible for your actions and you must be held accountable for them. Now, saints, that's the way I was taught. When my father took me into custody, he sat me down and he said to me, now son, every day with me can be like a day of heaven on earth or every day I will tear your behind all to pieces. And he meant it. And I found out that life was a lot better if I obeyed him. And he taught me things like respect authority. You don't fight the police. My father used to say to me, if you ever have a problem with a police officer and you feel he's mistreated you, come see me, I'll go look into it. But you don't badmouth, you don't, you don't talk back, you don't get angry, you don't get upset. That's not your job. That's my job as your parent to find out exactly what's wrong. Unfortunately, we're not hearing that now. Anytime there's a wrong interaction or a bad interaction or an interaction that comes out wrong with police, it's got to be the cop's fault and it's got to be racism. 
I mean, nobody wants to hear again, lying about who we are, where we come from, where we are. I mean, saints, these are hard facts, but they are truth. Nobody wants to deal with the fact that young black men, black men, 6% of the population are committing 52% of the murders. I mean, something's wrong with that picture. And of course, part of the reason why that's happening is they don't have fathers, for the most part, in the home to teach them how they should conduct themselves and to give them a vision for their lives. Because this nation was built on the idea of family. The people who came here pioneered this country out and they were primarily families working together, laboring together, building businesses together, building houses together. And now the family is being ripped asunder and it's the fault of everything else but the fact that we're not teaching people the importance of family anymore. Well, how in the world can you teach people the importance of family when you can't even tell them that a man is a man and a woman is a woman? Jesus said in the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. He didn't say anything about 150 genders. <laughs> there are two genders, male and female. Well, my goodness, if you can't even get that straight, how in the world do you teach a young man what it will be like one day to be a husband and a father and teach a young woman what it will be like one day to be a mother and a wife? We've got to come back to the truth and the facts about who we are as a nation, how we got here as a nation, and we've got to begin to restore those values to our people if we expect to have a future as a country. I don't care what anybody says. You can't build strong families by murdering 1.2 million unborn babies a year. You can't build strong families by teaching two and three-year-olds that they might be a girl in a boy's body or a boy in a girl's body. You can't build strong families by telling people that don't let the doctor put a gender on the birth certificate because that's bigotry. You never know. Oh, that's the direction in which they're moving. And you can't build strong families by having the Speaker of the House tell you, we're going to stop using mother and father, husband and wife, because those are bigoted and gender specific. What are you going to use, Nancy? I mean, surely you know what it means to be a mother. I mean, and when you ask a Supreme Court justice nominee, can you define what a woman is? And there she is, a woman sitting there, and she can't say something's clearly wrong. She was nominated because she was black and a woman. And you can't even say what a woman is. They're lying about everything. And the God of history sees exactly what they're doing. That's why we're going to win. Uh, I was talking to Bill Federer earlier, and he was talking about the fact that, you see, the devil can't help himself. He keeps pushing harder and harder and harder. He's, he is suicidal inherently. He, he works toward his own destruction. I mean, that's, that's what Pharaoh was doing. 
They keep pushing harder and harder. They don't back up. It's getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, when you've got drag queen events with little toddlers putting money into the underwear of a drag queen performer, something's wrong with you. And you've got to tell me that even people who aren't born again, filled with the Holy Ghost believers, have to look at that and go, oh no, you will not do that to my child. No, you will not do that to my grandchild. And I really believe that people are waking up all over the country and realizing these people have lost their minds. And we're not going to give them, listen, we've got to make sure that come November, we get these people out of power and put people in there who love God, love this country, and have some basic godly wisdom. So we can't go along with, with, with this lie about our history, about who we are, where we've come from. And look, by the way, apply this to yourself because where you are and who you are, God engineered that. See, that's why people get all worked up with me, but I don't, I don't even see, I don't know, know why. I am, I, I am not here because of slavery. I am here because God in his inimitable infinite wisdom before the world was said, I want E.W. Jackson in the United States of America and let me pick out his ancestors and let me send them where I want them to be so that he will be where I need him to be when I need him to be there. And the same is true for every one of you. That's what Joseph said to his brothers when they sold him into slavery. You, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are the call according to his purpose. Now look, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a whole sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't buy in. By the way, my organization is calling September Celebrate American History Month. And I would encourage you, because, because it's the month when our Constitution was ratified, which is when we really became a, 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 a true uh, government, because up until that time, things were a little bit shaky with the, the, the uh, Confederate rules that we had going, which made it difficult for George Washington to even get the financing to, to take care of his army. But talk to your children about our history. Tell them who we are. It's fascinating. It's inspiring. It's uplifting. It's encouraging. Talk to them about Nathan Hale and so many others. I've been reading about uh, Samuel Adams lately, and I'm convinced that Samuel Adams is the spiritual father of our country. George Washington is the political father of our country. He's the first president of the United States. He won the Revolutionary War. But long before that happened, Samuel Adams, this bold Christian, who absolutely would not compromise his faith in God, was telling everybody, independence is where we're going. He was saying it 10 years before most people were talking about it. And by the way, just to make the proper footnote to it, 
He was also avidly against slavery. He said, it is inconsistent with who we are as Americans. It is inconsistent with who we are as Christians. In fact, somebody tried to give his wife a slave as a gift. He said, don't you dare. I will not have a person in my house who is a slave. He said, now if we want her to work as a free person, she's welcome, but not as a slave. I do not allow slavery in my life. You don't hear about that, do you? No, you won't hear about that. They want to, oh, Samuel Adams, oh yeah, that's the beer, isn't it? He was a little too Christian for them. So no, we're not perfect, but we can't conform to this culture. We can't conform to this world. We've got to set our standards according to the word of God, knowing that we will never in this life reach them perfectly, but we keep striving to reach them. We keep striving to do better. As Paul said in Philippians chapter three, not that I've already attained, neither am I already perfect. He said, but I, I lay hold for that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, pressing on and reaching toward those things which are before, he said, I press toward the mark, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach for the call of the prize of the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's what we as a country have got to do. We have got to stop looking at the past and start looking toward the future. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And right now we're suffering from a lack of vision because the world wants us to focus on what happened in the past. We need to be focusing on what's going to happen in the future because Jesus Christ is coming back and we better make sure that we are busy doing what he called us to do and getting ready for his soon return. Hallelujah. It might be another quarter of a century. I mean, it might be another century. I don't know when it's going to be, but I know what he told us to do. Occupy until I come. Glory to God. Keeping his word. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. So let's deal with the circumstance before us according to the word of God. And by the way, reject this notion, this multicultural notion. And some of you may have heard that and thought, well, that's that may have multiculturalism, that's okay. No, the root of multiculturalism is this, that all cultures are the same. They're not the same. They're not. And that all cultures are equal. They're not equal. I just read a story about a tribe in Papua New Guinea that's still engaged in cannibalism. Uh, anytime something goes wrong, a major storm, a major problem of some kind, they try to, by sort of pagan and idolatrous and witchcraft means, figure out who the cause is. And once they figure out who that cause is, they kill that person. And then they cut them up and eat them. Um, all cultures are not equal. And this is, this is just utter silliness. And I'll tell you something, a culture that is God-centered is superior to a culture that is not. And America right now has been, our history has been, we have been the most God-centered culture short of Israel, which of course didn't exist for 2,500 years, the most God-centered culture in the world. 
Now here again, you can say, well, Bishop, we haven't done it perfectly. I know that, but I haven't lived perfectly, have you? But we have ideals that we strive for. And listen, I'm not living for the devil, I can tell you that. I'm seeking to live for God and I don't want my country to be representing the devil. I want my country to represent the values of Almighty God. So a God-centered culture is better. Jesus made this. By the way, Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai and gave the children of Israel the law, he was converting them from a, an idolatrous-centered culture that they had learned in Egypt. They brought it with them. That was the golden calf. To a God-centered culture based on God's word and God's rule and God's law. And America is a God-centered culture. We are a Christian culture. We don't have an official religion, and I don't want us to have one, but I'll fight anybody in the arena of ideas about the fact that America is a Christian country. We are rooted and grounded on faith in God and the principles of his word, and that is undeniable. But Jesus said, whoever hears my words and does them, I liken to a man who built his house on a rock. He said, and when the floods came and the rains beat and the winds blew against that house, it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. But whoever hears my words and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the sand. Now notice the same storm, the same rain, the same flood, comes against both houses, but the house founded on the sand does not stand because it's built on sand. We've got to make sure that our country is always rooted and grounded and founded on the rock. The God of history has given us this nation. We are a providential nation. It has been bequeathed to us by Almighty God. I've said there's no other nation on earth that looks more like the kingdom of God than the United States of America. We have people here from every place around the globe. There's never been a nation like this. Every other nation before us was demographically homogeneous. All people, for the most part, living among the people that they known and grown up with, people, as the world likes to say, who look like them. But that's not America. America is a country built, of, of made up of people from everywhere, all around the world. We look more like the kingdom of God than any other nation on earth. And I believe God gave us this country for that purpose, so that we might represent to the world what he is like because no other country has set the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world like the United States of America. Just think of what Andrew Womack Ministries does alone. And think of what all the other ministries that are reaching out around the world have done. This country has been a beacon light of hope. It has been exactly what John Winthrop saw. We have been a shining city on a hill and we're not going to allow the light of that shine be put out. We got to make it shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's the job of each of us to do. And by the way, they don't like it. They don't like you. They don't like me. It's all right. We still love them. We still pray for them. But we're not afraid. We're not backing down. We're not backing up. Why in the world should we? For if God be for us, who can be against us? 
He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and is risen again. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. And no power on earth, no devils in hell can possibly defeat him. And as long as we're on his side, we are more than conquerors because he loved us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. I will not stray from Jesus' love. Even though Satan tempts my soul, I'm determined to go on and reach my goal. I've made up my mind. Have you made up your mind? I'm going all the way through. He fixed it for me. He fixed it for you. So here's what I'm going to do. For the rest of my life, through the storm, through the rain, through name calling, whatever they say, whatever they do, as the old preacher used to say, the more you talk about me, you can say as much as you please, I'm going to stay on my knees knees. You're not going to stop me from doing the will of God in my life. Do I have a witness in this place? Hallelujah. And I've read the beginning, the middle, and the back of the book, and we win. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, isn't it good to hear somebody with good news and that loves our country? Praise God. Man, it's been an awesome, awesome day and we got more to come. And uh, if you liked our musical tonight, we are going to have a, it's about a 25, 30 minute, 30, 30 minute presentation tomorrow that is just awesome. It's about the... Uh, people on flight 93 and the other people that died in the Twin Towers, but it's portraying it in a way of the heroes and the things that happened. And it's going to be awesome. And uh, do you want to give any instructions about tomorrow? All right. So let's welcome Richard back. Thank you all for being here tonight, man. It's been a great, great day. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, just a, just a little bit for you here tonight. Uh, so E.W. Jackson is headed into the concourse where he's going to be signing his book. So be sure to stop by his table and pick up his book. And uh, there will be prayer ministry tonight. So if our prayer ministers are ready and can come forward, you can uh, come forward and, and uh, agree with them in prayer. Remember, you can take this conference home with you. Stop by the uh, duplication booth and you can pre-order and that'll be uh, ready for you when the conference is over. And then also, please guys, don't leave your stuff in the auditorium tonight as it will be cleaned and uh, uh, you don't want the, uh, that going to the lost and found. So take all your stuff with you. Let me give you some instructions on how to leave the property. Okay. So when you get to the end of the driveway down by where the uh, security hut is, there's two lanes to turn right. You go up Trout Creek Road, you get to the traffic light and there's two lanes to turn left. If you use both lanes, then we'll get out of here sooner. Okay. So that's real important. In the, li the lineup tomorrow, you guys, listen, strategic partner Brooke Faulkner, Faulkner of Students for Life is going to share. Uh, we're going to have the 9-11 Memorial Tribute. 
Bill Federer is going to be ministering. You won't want to miss that. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I've got a message for you. I think it's from God. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, Lance Wall now again, Mark Coward, Eric Metaxas, E.W. Jackson again, and we're going to cap it off with Mario Murillo. You won't want to miss. God bless you guys.